Good morning and welcome to a snowy morning here. Uh, and, well, I'm in Monroe and uh, y'all are hopefully cozy in your rooms and in your living rooms by your fireplaces and uh, enjoying some worship time this morning. Uh, as we begin, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to come into your house. Even though we are not in your house uh, physically, we all gather together in spirit to worship you and to uh, lift up your name. I pray that you'd bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me with our opening song?
few announcements as we get going here this uh, weekend and as we look at the week ahead. Um, we have Ash Wednesday coming up. The season of Lent begins on February 17th and uh, we'll be gathering together at 6.30. Uh, Ash Wednesday is a time of repentance, uh, a time of gathering and uh, looking at the season of Lent. And uh, for the first three weeks, I'll be there at Elam and uh, we'll be looking at the faces and places of the Holy Week. And then you'll have an opportunity of hearing from three other pastors from the local AFLC churches after that. And then we'll be moving into uh, Holy Week with Palm Sunday and uh, different services leading up to Resurrection Sunday. Um, on those Lenten services, besides Ash Wednesday, we'll be having a soup supper at six o'clock. And uh, it's basically a cup of soup and we'll be distributing those with social distancing, but we'll have an opportunity to fellowship for about a half an hour before the service starts at 6.30. Um, still could use some tech people. Um, we're gonna be looking at trying to improve our online presence um, with some taped um, different services and uh, being able to present those in a better way. Um, so if you're interested in that and would like to do some filming or some recording or editing of um, the different services, we'd appreciate, uh, we'd appreciate that. Um, you can talk to uh, Tim Allen or Alex Johnson if you're interested in that. And then also in regard to the music director, we got one more week here um, to look internally to see if there's a, um, somebody within our church here that would be a good music director. If that's interesting to you and you'd like a job description, um, you can call Leslie at the office or you can get a hold of me and I'll pass that on to you. Um, after this next Sunday, uh, we'll be opening it up to um, the surrounding area uh, and different people from outside of Elam uh, to apply for that job. And then also the preschool director position. Uh, as Kathy talked about last week, um, in the spring she'll be finishing up her time as the preschool director. Um, two decades of really um, uh, enjoying that position and helping the preschool and overseeing that. And so uh, we're looking at the next season now to see who the next director is going to be for that and then also they're looking for additional teachers and assistance for, uh, for that as well. Um, the council meeting was supposed to be today after church, but obviously we've canceled and so that will be postponed uh, to next week. And so uh, if you're on the council, look forward to that time after the service next week. Those are our announcements this morning. And now we will have a time of uh, congregational prayer and so if there are prayers that you have in your home there, um, you can lift those up at this time and uh, we'll just gather together and just surround yourself with your uh, people that you're going to be praying with there. And uh, if you don't have anybody, it's you and the Lord and uh, we'll pray together and I'll open us here. Father God, we come before you and there are so many different needs in our nation right now. Uh, there are so many different things that are going on around us in our community. Uh, we want to lift those up to you today and we want to ask your provision and your help in the midst of all of those things. And Father God, I pray that you would have your hand upon these different positions, the music director and also the uh, preschool director. Uh, we pray for the upcoming Lenten season. I pray that you would stir your people to come out and to uh, join in uh, with those different services. <clears throat> we thank you for the excuse me, the different AFLC pastors that are going to be joining in with us. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for this time together today.
Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Joshua, chapter 7, beginning with verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen the, and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away all the devoted things from among you. <clears throat> in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clans that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of uh, Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clans of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Camri, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him uh, took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. Here ends the reading of our scripture lesson. Let's pray together. Father God, I, this is your word. I pray your blessing over it today. I pray that you would use me and the words of my mouth to proclaim what you've given me in the study. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing with our series on foundational triads. And uh, this is the second part of that series. We're looking at mankind and the fall uh, and then sin. And so this is the third of those triads. Uh, and today we're looking at the effects of sin. One of the greatest joys in my life is finding lost golf balls on the golf course. And I'm even more elated when I find a Titleist Pro V1. 
because these little beauties uh, are about $4 in the store for each of them. And when I see that shiny white surface peeking at me from under the bushes, it's like Christmas morning. Speaking of Christmas morning, that's T-I-T-L-E. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the only problem with me finding these balls is that it usually means that I've hit my ball out of bounds and therefore I'm searching for it among all the other balls that are out there because those spots uh, I guess are very popular with golfers who are not very good. And a while back I began to avoid the temptation of going after these little white treasures. And the reason can be summed up in two words, poison oak. <laughs> well, over the course of a year I had numerous cases of the stuff and each time the suffering lasted for about a month and left a, good, a couple of good scars. And so the effects of hunting the golf balls had become greater than the benefits. And there's actually been times where I've been walking along and I can see uh, those little Pro V1s right in the bushes there. But my better judgment has taken over and I've avoided going in after those. Sin is much like this. Crossing that boundary, going after that shiny, tempting thing may, may feel great for the moment, but it has lasting consequences that can be more severe than poison oak. And this is especially seen here in our text today. A man named Achan, who was part of the army that helped invade Jericho, saw a proverbial golf ball in the bushes while he was busy plundering the city along with Israel. Now I can just imagine some of the thoughts that were going through his mind as he pondered taking some of this treasure that was supposed to be devoted to the Lord. Thoughts that may sound very familiar to you as you consider uh, sinful temptations in your life. Thoughts like, who will know? Does God really care about such a little thing? And it's not going to hurt anyone, so why does it matter? I'll do it just this once and never again. And I deserve a little bit of happiness, don't I? And then finally, how, could, how severe could the punishment really be? Little did he know how much of an impact this seemingly insignificant sin would have in the lives of so many. And as we look at the sin of Achan and consider the effects of that sin, I would invite you to see that there are effects today that are just as severe as those that happened back then. But first I want to define what sin is because it can seem a little bit ambiguous. My definition of sin is anything that is outside the will of God. Now at first God's will might seem extremely narrow for us. That is until we recognize that he has given us great freedoms. He's not the micromanager of mankind. And there are millions of choices that you can make each day that are within his permissive will. Sometimes that will might even include things that are uh, off limits to other people. But there are certain prohibitions he has given us in order to protect us and make life better. And so that we can be a better witness for him. He's drawn that out of bounds line around certain points. As was mentioned two weeks ago, in the Garden of Eden, there were perhaps hundreds, if not thousands, of plants and trees from which Adam and Eve could eat from. But God had placed a boundary line around one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And our life is the same. There are thousands of blessings that the Lord has given us in our life, thousands of things that we can choose from but he wants us to receive them in a particular fashion that's best for us. Take, for instance, the area of sex. 
God has given us this blessing and basically has said, you can choose from thousands of people to have a sexual relationship with. But once you choose that person, you must remain faithful to them so that I can bless the relationship with trust and intimacy. And so he draws a boundary line around your marriage and places all other sexual possibilities outside of that off-limits line. I see in our text here today four effects from deciding against God's commands. First of all, sin has an effect upon my heart. Look with me again at verses 20 through 21 of chapter 7. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so as we see here, sin begins with an individual decision to willfully disobey the Lord. And this immediately affects our relationship with the Lord. Achan here recognizes that he sinned against God. And for the modern Christian, when we sin, we quench the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives. Galatians 6, 8 shows us that when we sow into our sinful nature or flesh, this leads to corruption. But when we sow to the Spirit, we reap eternal life. Now remember that as followers of Christ, our sins do not disqualify us from salvation, so long as we do not allow them to consume us, as we looked at last week. But they do affect our eternal life and the things that are in store for us. The most important set of verses that show us how this works are 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, that's Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day when he comes to judge the earth, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so personally, for the believer who is sinning against the Lord, the effect or the regret or loss they will feel before the Lord will end up reflecting the life decisions that they've made. Also, we see that there'll be loss of reward because we chose temporal pleasures over the moment, in the moment there, over the lasting effects of eternity. But notice here what happens. That one can be saved, but as through fire, they're kind of patting the flames of hell off their bottom as they come into heaven there. Second, we see that, this, that sin has an effect upon my family. Let's look at the next passage here again that shows the effects of sin. Verse 24 through 25 gives the account. It says, And Joshua and Israel took him, uh, Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and all his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. This is one of those difficult passages here that can lead us perhaps to think that God is unjust if we're not careful. We ask, why did his sons and daughters have to suffer for the sins of the father? And what makes it even more difficult 
is that there are other passages like Deuteronomy 24, 16, which is just 17 chapters before this, that seem to indicate a different approach by God. Here it's a command that God has given Moses. He says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each one will die for their own sin. In fact, in 2 Kings 14, there's an example of children who are not put to death because of the sins of the father based on this commandment in Deuteronomy. And so the best I can do with this passage is that these children, the children of Achan, must have somehow known about the sin of their father and agreed to having those treasures in the tent. Many times this is how uh, sin affects our families. We convince them by our actions and our position of authority as the parent, as the father, that what we're doing is acceptable and not a sin. Numbers 14, 18 tells us that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But you might say, well, well, Pastor Scott, doesn't that contradict the other passages that say that the children are not supposed to be put to death for the sins of the parents? Well, in this situation here in Numbers, he's not destroying them, but what he's doing is he's allowing the sins of the parents to punish the children. Another version says he visits the sins of the parents on the children. Anyone who's had a parent that has been struggling and dealing with a sinful uh, habit or is ensnared in certain things, they know how punishing the effect can be on the following generations. The results of their mistakes have made your life difficult in many areas. But I want you to notice that that passage goes on and says, He blesses to a thousand generations those who love him. And so what this tells me is the cycle can be broken. And healing can begin as we begin to choose to follow the Lord. But your sin has a punishing effect on your family. The third thing we see here in this passage is that sin has a, an effect on my community. In verse 4, we see an amazing and tragic battle unfold. This is going back a little ways. It says, So about 3,000 men went up from there, uh, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men, and chased them before the gates as far as Cherubim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted, and became as water. And so the sin of Achan caused great pain to come to the nation of Israel. 36 women that day became widows. Perhaps a hundred children became orphans. And the tragic part is that it could have been prevented. As a minister, I find this to be greatly distressing, especially when I consider all the great ministers that have fallen down through the centuries. Entire congregations were shaken to the core because of the sins of one man. And not only was the congregation affected, but the entire church is tainted. We've been talking a little bit about Ravi Zacharias, a man who made great strides in regard to apologetics and the Christian faith. And yet after his death, it was discovered that there was a dual life going on, secret sins that have now affected the entire church. The name of Jesus gets raked through the mud. And so, my sin affects the community that I live in. Your sin affects those around you. Let me spin it a little bit differently here. 
We all know that there are certain actions that the Lord wants us to take as followers of Christ. Those things include reaching out to help the poor, uh, treating your neighbor as you would yourself, spreading the good news of the gospel, fighting those who are um, going against the defenseless or oppressing others. And so when I'm stuck in my sin, I have absolutely no desire to step out in those kinds of actions. I'm bound up by those sins. And the good that I could have been doing in my community is sidetracked by the devil's schemes and my sinful nature. Finally, here today, we see that sin has an effect upon my legacy. After everything's transpired and uh, Achan and his children are taken to the valley and stoned and there's a big heap that's raised above them, we see a tiny footnote in verse 26. It says, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. That word Achor means trouble or the Valley of Trouble. One of my favorite romantic comedies is a movie called Hitch. And Will Smith in it plays a dating consultant who helps bashful guys try to uh, win over some women that are kind of uh, above their pay grade a little bit. And during the course of the movie, he finds himself falling for a beautiful journalist named, uh, uh, who's played by Eva, Eva Mendez. On their first date, he wants to give her the perfect surprise. And so he has this connection uh, over at Ellis Island. There's a guard that he knows there. And so he takes her over there and he's tracked down the first immigrant of hers that came through Ellis Island. And so they're walking around Ellis Island there and they come to the book that has uh, his name in it. And it's open to that page and he kind of nonchalantly draws her attention to it, feeling pretty smooth at that time. And at first she's just kind of surprised and she's looking at it, but then she begins to cry uncontrollably and she runs out of the building. And Hitch there looks at the guard and says, I saw that going a little bit differently. What Hitch didn't realize is that her great-great-grandfather was a mass murderer known as the Butcher of Cadiz. And so when she saw that name there, it didn't bring her fond thoughts of a wonderful relative. It caused great pain because of the effect of his sin and the effect that it had, had down through the generations and onto their family. His legacy was one of darkness and destruction, just like Achan. And so the question is, how will people remember you when you're gone? As a valley of trouble or a mountain of faithfulness? In conclusion this morning, in hindsight, reaching into the bushes for a $4 golf ball was not worth the trouble and the pain that I experienced. And in hindsight, as Achan was about to be stoned, I'm sure he realized that that hidden treasure was not worth the pain that he caused not only on himself, but also on his family and his community. As I read through the story here, um, I wonder where Achan is at this very moment. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? Was his greed a momentary lapse of judgment or an indication of a rebellious heart? And the answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. Perhaps Achan is in heaven today, but as one through fire. But he assuredly suffered loss. And anyone listening here today um, knows that you have reached into the bushes. You have taken that off-limits thing 
at least a number of times in your life. But the question is, when we realize that we've done that, do we ask forgiveness or do we harden our hearts and suffer loss? That act of repentance may not completely undo the effects of sin, but it will go a long way to stopping the bleeding. And so, Father God, I pray for uh, anybody who's entrapped in a sin today. I pray that your hand would be upon them. Help them as they go through this time of repentance, Lord, and that they would come before you clean once again, and that you would wash them with your blood. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a moment here for a confession before the Lord. And so as you're in your homes there, if you would just silently confess before the Lord uh, anything that you feel like you have done as far as reaching in to that off-limits area. For those of you who have confessed this morning, I declare to you that the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray together with me the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me with our closing song?
There is none like